Well, yeah, change is hard, but that doesn't mean don't do it. That's where all the great growth and joy is. Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Human beings engage in a lot of multitasking, and sometimes we're very successful at it. For example, maybe you're traveling, exercising, or cleaning the house while you listen to this podcast. And if you're doing any of those things, you're in good company. These are the times when I'm most likely to listen to podcasts myself. So we certainly seem able to do more than one thing at a time. And we seem to be doing this more and more with pretty much everything. And while that might be good for checking some things off of the to-do list, our multitasking tendencies can actually be terrible for our sex lives. For one thing, if you're trying to divide your attention between a bunch of different things, there's a good chance that you're not even going to be in the mood for sex because something else is stealing your attention. Likewise, if you're engaged in sexual activity, but your mind is elsewhere, you're probably going to find it difficult to stay aroused and have an orgasm. When it comes to sex, mindset is everything. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to discuss how changing your mind can change your sex life for the better. This show isn't just about reining in the multitasking, though. It's also about addressing all of your thoughts around sex more generally. This includes looking at your motivations for having sex in the first place, identifying the things that accelerate and inhibit your sex drive, and avoiding social comparisons. As my guest today loves to say, your brain really is your biggest sex organ. And so when it comes to having more sex and better sex, the key is changing your headspace. I am joined once again by Dr. Kelly Casperson, a urologist, sex educator, author, and podcaster. Her latest book is titled, you are not broken. Stop shooting all over your sex life. This conversation is going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to give you the sex ed you definitely never got in school. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. Anytime I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm usually super hot. So in order to get a good night's sleep, I have to strip down, crank the AC, and use the covers minimally. But that has all changed thanks to Cozy Earth. Their sheet set, made from sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics, is softer than cotton and temperature regulating. It allows me to stay cool and comfortable all night long. Cozy Earth has been one of Oprah's favorites for years, and now it's one of my favorites. You can try their bedding for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. Cozy Earth has provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today. Get 35% off site-wide when you use the code SEXANDPSYCHOLOGY. That's all one word. You can find the link and code in the show notes or visit CozyEarth.com to learn more. Enjoy and sleep well. Applications are now open for a new continuing medical education course from the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. The course is titled Gender, Sexuality, and Medicine, an Introduction to LGBTQ Competent Care, and it will be held this fall. Both online and in-person attendance options are available. This course is intended for health professionals, and it offers continuing education credits. Please visit kinseyinstitute.org for more information and to register. So Kelly, as you discuss in your book, You Are Not Broken, it's your thoughts about sex that are crucial to our sexual experiences. Because thoughts lead to feelings, feelings drive actions, and actions lead to results. 
And so when we have sex that isn't great, we can often, but certainly not always, trace that back to a predestined thought pattern that undermined the experience in some way. So for example, maybe you didn't think you were going to have a good time, or perhaps you expected something to happen that didn't happen. So can you speak a little bit about the importance of sexual mindset generally and how our thought patterns when it comes to sex are really one of the key factors that affect the quality of the sex that we have? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, you know, just to back it up for the folks in the back of like the brain is the biggest sex organ, right? And this really struck home for me because as a, as a urologist and somebody who takes care of pelvises for a living, I can get your pelvis working pretty darn good right? Whether it's erections or vulva moisture or, or whatever it might be, but it's your brain. If you're like, yeah, but sex is really hard or it takes a long time. You know, these thoughts that we don't think are all that bad, but they actually really limit us from wanting to have sex in the first place. And so once it kind of clicked for me of like, I can get your pelvis as good as possible, but it's how you think about sex. Like sex is just for my partner right? Almost blowing off sex as it's in importance for you in any sort of way of like your mind will drive the sex life that you're having. And if you look at, you know, the sexually satisfied people and you ask them their thoughts about sex, they're pretty positive, right? Like sex is awesome. I love it. I have it as much as I can. It's easy. I, I love it just here, there and everywhere. Almost their thoughts are like a lightness of when it comes to sex, not this like heavy, dark, like I don't have time for sex. There's a limiting thought. So it's really like our thoughts about sex that drive our sex life. And to me, you know, that people are like, we're so busy. How do we have a sex life when we're so busy? And I'm like, you realize the average American's on some form of social media four hours a day, four hours a day. We have plenty of time. We're just prioritizing that easier, cheaper dopamine. But yeah, it's the, it's the thoughts that create your results of, of an active sex life. And, you know, it's funny, if you look at the average amount of time that people report spending on sexual activity when they do have sex, you know, it's around 15 or so minutes when you're looking at heterosexual persons. Lesbians have sex the longest. It's, you know, closer to 30 to 40 minutes on average. But when you think about it in the context of how much television we watch per day, how much time we spend on social media, you know, you don't have to step away from technology too much to make a little bit of time for sex. So part of it is making sex that priority. But I think it's really important to think about those thought patterns that we have. Like, what are the thoughts that are going through your head before you typically engage in sex? And if there's something negative about, you know, we need to get this over with, or let's rush through this because I have to be up early tomorrow morning, like, those are all things that are probably not going to contribute to having a great sexual experience. Yeah, it's our thoughts about our partner and our, also our thoughts about ourselves right? Body image and stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. Now, changing our sexual mindset is something that I think sounds hard to a lot of people. And I get it. It's work. You know, it's a lot easier to just buy a sex toy or bring some other novelty into the bedroom to keep things fresh and interesting instead. And while novelty can and does help with boosting arousal and offering a more intense experience that might help to keep you in the moment, it's also kind of a band-aid solution because that novelty is eventually going to wear off and you're going to need to replace it with something else that's novel. But 
at the same time, all of that sexual shit inside of your brain is still going to be there. You know, the self-defeating thoughts and all of these other negative thought patterns around sex. So how can we make the prospect of shifting our sexual mindset easier? Are there any initial baby steps we can take to just sort of start working on that? Yeah. I mean, I think the first, again, it's just a little neuroscience education is like the thoughts that we have either were put there by us or sometimes put there by not us, right? Like society put them there or like an ex put them there or something like that. And we're just kind of carrying them around. I think people don't realize the immense ability of us to choose with intentionality the thoughts we want and to change that soundtrack. So I think that's number one of like, we're just asking you to do stuff that brains are actually pretty good at doing. And then number two is an awareness. Because a lot of people can't just tell you automatically what they're thinking about sex. But if you ask them to write it down, you know, what are your thoughts about sex? Or what does sex mean to you? Would you agree with the statement, sex is fun? Would you agree with the statement, I'm a, a sexually confident person? Right? Like, then they can kind of be like, yeah, I agree with that a lot. No, I don't agree with that. And you can kind of see what your thoughts are. So it always starts with an awareness of where you are. And then it's almost like, you know, the toxic positivity, right? We don't want to do, we don't want to be like, just decide that sex is fun. If it feels untrue to you, it's not going to work. And so it's really the, what the experts say is the latter thoughts. So basically like baby steps towards being a sexually confident person of, I'm working on exploring my sexuality. I'm working on accepting where my body is today. Because they feel a lot more true to you, but they're not as negative and heavy as like, I'm too fat to have sex, or I'm too sick to have sex, or I'm too old to have sex, or whatever these thoughts, which are all completely optional, but they're just kind of playing on the soundtrack in our brain. I love everything you just said. You know, you have control over what your thoughts are. Now, changing all of those thoughts overnight, probably not realistic, you know. Oh, that's called an identity crisis if you change them all overnight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's a, that's a different thing. Yeah. But, you know, you have to recognize that this is a, it's a journey that you're starting on and you can make some baby steps toward becoming this sexually self-confident person who can approach sex in a way that enables you to get what you want and to get the pleasure that you deserve. So, one key part of changing your sexual mindset also has to do with what we call approach or avoidance motivation when it comes to sex. And an approach motivation is when you're seeking a reward. So you're moving toward something positive. So in the case of sex, this might be seeking to experience pleasure or wanting to express love or promote intimacy in the relationship. And on the other hand, an avoidance motivation is when you're seeking to avoid something that is bad or negative. So in the case of sex, that might be agreeing to sex in order to prevent conflict or to prevent your partner from getting angry or losing interest in you. And research consistently shows that people with approach motives tend to be much happier and have better relationships than people with avoidance motives centering around sex. So Kelly, can you speak a little bit about the importance of paying attention to your own motivations for having sex. Yeah. And again, I think it starts with awareness of like, what are you doing this for? What kind of relationship do you want to be in, right? Because you might not feel like having sex right at this moment, but you want to be in a partnership that is sexual. To me, I always say sex isn't special. You can use the same thing with like vegetables and exercise, right? Of like, I do not feel like eating vegetables right now, but incorporating fruits and vegetables into my life is something that I, I want to be that person right? And then you're eating your fruits and vegetables and you're like, 
oh, this is actually enjoyable. We kind of forget if we don't look at that big picture of like, what do I want in my life? We kind of forget in the moment because a lot of us aren't in that spontaneous sexual desire time in our life. We're in that responsive desire time in our life. But realizing kind of what's important to us to have it drive our activity. And a lot of people will have desire for sex during sex or after sex. You know, how many times do I hear, especially from women of like, I forgot how awesome that was. Will you remind me again? Because I always forget, right? Like we forget about it. So if you think of it like, I want to be in a sexual relationship, that's that forward motivation to then do it, to realize the desire for you might come afterwards. I think that's all well said. And I think a lot of times people will fall into this pattern of just trying to avoid the negative outcomes. And it's kind of like they just want to put out the fires and prevent anything bad from happening. But then they sort of neglect the other part of that, which is approaching sex for things that you get out of it, things that you want. And so, you know, it's not to say that you can never approach sex with an avoidance motivation behind it. Just that if you're always going that avoidance route, that's probably not going to lead to a very healthy sex life. And you need to have at least some balance or at least more often than not be going with these approach motives where there is something that is in it for you. So think about those motivations. Like, why do you have sex? You know, sit there and make a list of what are all the possible reasons why I have had sex with my partner before? If you're not in a relationship, what are the reasons why you've had sex in the past? And you'll probably find that there's a lot of different motivations there. And think about which ones led to the better outcomes and how can you approach sex in that way more in the future so that you can be getting more of what you want. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's like the neuroscience again of like, we love dopamine. Brains love dopamine. And dopamine is released in seeking out, not just getting a rewarding activity, but in seeking out the rewarding activity. You will not get a dopamine hit if you are trying to avoid a negative outcome right? So it's almost like, you know, the, the neuroscience hack of like understanding why this works instead of, you know, don't take it from me, like go get your dopamine and understand how you like it. I think the other thing for dopamine and sex is like sex is actually decently like it's a little bit of exercise. It does take a little bit longer than just clicking on your phone and getting dopamine from social media or getting dopamine from, you know, mint haagen chip ice cream on the couch. Like that is easy, quick dopamine. And if all our brain wants is dopamine, don't wonder why, like, man, I just wish I could be on my phone and eat ice cream. That's so much easier than getting my dopamine from sex. Yep. So the subtitle of your book is Stop Shooting All Over Your Sex Life, which I love. And it's also kind of funny. But there's so much truth to this because I hear from people all the time about things that they think they should do, that they should want, or that they should enjoy when it comes to sex. You know, for example, I often hear from men who are totally normal in terms of their sexual function, but think that they should last longer in bed. I also hear from people of all genders who think that they should orgasm faster or that they should be having more sex, or maybe they think they should enjoy oral sex or anal sex when that hasn't been pleasurable for them. Or perhaps they think that they should be cool with being in some type of open relationship when, you know, they have a lot of jealous tendencies. So Kelly, why do we need to stop shooting? And what should we be doing instead? Yeah, I mean, shooting is, you know, it's just human nature to compare ourselves, to, right, to either what we consume or who to watch or our friends, because it's our way of like staying safe. 
Am I doing it right? Am I going to get kicked out of the cave? Am I, you know, is, are, are things going well? And I see this a lot of like, how many times a week should I have sex? Like frequency is really big, that I should have an orgasm a certain way is another one, especially with like putting a penis in the vagina. Like I should have an orgasm that way, even though it's not how our bodies work. It's all what Hollywood says. You know, only Americans want to rush through these pleasurable things in life of like, we want to last longer, but sex shouldn't take so long. <laughs> like, you know, we, we want both sides of the coin. So yeah, we should all over our sex life. And I think to realize like you are unique amongst 8 billion individuals. There's never been a you before. Only you are going to decide what's right for you and what feels good for you. And, you know, going into like what your book goes about is like the fantasies you, oh, I should have certain fantasies or I shouldn't have these fantasies, right? Of like your brain's just, that's going to be what turns it on. And most of the time it's okay. Yep. You know, I think a key part of this is really when it comes to shooting, it's about just dropping those social comparisons, you know, stop thinking about what other people are doing and thinking that because that's what they're doing, you should be doing the same thing because different things work for different people when it comes to sex and relationships. Now, I think another key part of changing your sexual mindset is to recognize that the time to change, or at least the time to start, is now. But a lot of people are just playing the waiting game. They're just waiting for things to spontaneously change on their own, or they're waiting for the right partner or pill to come along. But odds are that magical quick fix that you're fantasizing about probably isn't going to happen. And it might get harder the longer you wait and let patterns of behavior really crystallize. I mean, I'm thinking about my own journey here a little bit. And once upon a time, I really didn't have much in the way of body confidence. But I always remembered this one episode of Sex in the City where Samantha decided to do a nude photo shoot. And then she hangs this photo of her backside up in her home. And that was something that I always aspired to. I was like, gosh, if I just had the body confidence to do something like that, that would be so amazing. And so a few years ago, I had gotten in pretty good shape. And I was like, you know, this might be the best shape I'll ever be in in my entire life. And if I'm going to be like Samantha, now's the time. So I did it. I scheduled a nude photo shoot and ended up with a photo that looks a lot like Samantha's. You know, it's taken from the backside and got a little bit of side boob in it because <laughs> I was working on my chest a lot back then. But the experience of doing that was really intimidating and really uncomfortable at first, but it quickly became this freeing and exciting thing. And it just felt really empowering. And now I have that photo hanging up in my bedroom. So it's really just for me. But that experience and then having that photo is a daily reminder that I can do hard things and feel good about myself was so, so valuable. And I'm really glad that I didn't wait to do it. I think had I not decided to bite the bullet, I'd probably still be insecure, probably never would have done it, especially after a few years of COVID weight gain. But I tell this story because the time is now, you know, you don't know what the future holds. So can you speak to this, Kelly? Do you have any advice on how to sort of muster up that courage to say, I need to make a change and I need to make it now? Well, I think a lot of people, you know, we we expect that, okay, fine, but can you promise me that change is going to feel good and be easy, right? Of like, well, change actually is hard because you're changing your routine, right? You're changing your mindset. And I think just to, you know, encourage people of like, this might be uncomfortable. 
because leaving, you know, leaving the proverbial cave, right, for, for the quest of something greater is vulnerable. But that's where the hero's journey is. And, you know, again, it's like becoming sexually confident and incorporating that into your life and figuring it out. I would say there's no there there, right? It's not like, and on Tuesday, you'll have flawless, perfect sex in exactly (sighs) 7.4 minutes and forevermore, right? Like you, and you would never want it to get boring. But like, there's no there there. It's the personal growth. And I think that sexual confidence and working on your sex life and getting what you want is the final frontier of personal growth. And understanding your thoughts of like, I do have the power to change that. I wonder what it could be. And for me, like, I, you know, I have one of those stories too. It's a little bit different, but I was sitting on my couch after work one day and I was thinking about like the women who have really beautiful biceps, you know, like the women, you can clearly tell they work out. I thought I'll work out when I retire. And I actually caught the thought, right? And realized, oh, I don't know what I'm going to retire. That could be, that could be a long time from now. And isn't it bullshit that my plan for fit arms might be 15 years down the road. And it was like that lightning strike moment of like, once you see the thought and you can question it and be like, is that thought actually serving me? Is this serving my sex life? Is this serving my fitness? Is this serving me and my future self? Getting fit is not easy, but either is waiting until you retire. I think people are like, yeah, but it's going to be hard of like, well, yeah, change is hard, but that doesn't mean don't do it. That's where all the great growth and joy is. Yeah. I love everything you just said. I appreciate the story that you shared. And it's got me thinking about how I know a lot of people personally who have waited, like they've delayed pleasure. They've delayed doing the things that they really want to do in life, whether that's sexually or otherwise, because they're too busy with work right now, or they think it'll just be easier to push it off and find that fulfillment later in life. And unfortunately, in a lot of these cases, you know, their life circumstances have not changed in a way that is going to allow them to pursue those dreams or fantasies that they had. You never know what's going to happen when a health issue will strike or how your body will change or how your relationship circumstances might change. You know, we have all these plans for the future, but we can't guarantee that they're going to come to fruition because there are so many things that are out of our control. And so I think, yes, that question of, am I serving my current self and my future self right now is an important one to ask. And that can help set you down this journey. And also that recognition that, you know, change is hard and it might be a little uncomfortable, might be a lot uncomfortable if you decide to do a nude photo shoot, right? (laughs) But There is so much value in challenging yourself and pushing yourself to do some of these things and embracing the discomfort because sometimes you have to get a little bit uncomfortable first to really feel comfortable and confident in yourself. Totally. And the the last thing I would add about changing your life, incorporating anything is especially those of us who've been through like a very structured educational history, right? Of like the college is going to tell you if you can go in it or not. The PhD program is going to tell you if you get accepted or not. The journal is going to tell you if you get published or not, is we're always waiting for other people's permission, right? And then we don't realize when it comes to our own life, our own permission is what we need to give ourselves. I need to give myself permission to have the best sex of my life. I need to give myself permission to start the podcast that I wanted to start. Nobody else is going to come and give us permission for this kind of stuff. But the way we're socialized is like, well, other people are the ones who tell you when it's time and ready, and then they'll show you the way of like, that's not actually the, the best way to like live your dreams and live your best life. 
I love that. Give yourself permission. Now, something else you talk about in your book is the dual control model of sexual response. You know, this idea that your libido is like a car. And we talked about this previously. I had Emily Nagoski on the show, and she loved to talk about this in her book, Come As You Are, which is fantastic. But, you know, the basic idea behind this is that we all have these accelerators and brakes in the brain that can increase or decrease our sexual desire. And a key way to gain sexual self-understanding is to identify what your own unique brakes and accelerators actually are. So can you speak a little bit about this idea and what you recommend for how you can sort of gain that self-insight into the different levers that are controlling your libido? Yeah, yeah. I think, again, it's like asking a person what great sex is if they've never had it, right? Of like, what are your accelerators? It's like, well, do you remember what we call women who like sex? So you shouldn't actually have any accelerators because you might turn into that person. So it's easier, I think, to identify what your breaks are. What are you not in the mood for sex? You're like, well, Costco, not in the mood at Costco, right? Like, it's easy to be like, what are you, when are you not in the mood? Um, when I'm in a fight with my partner, I'm not in the mood. If I'm like really starving, I'm not in the, right? So it's almost easier to be like, these aren't my brain. And then you can reverse engineer like, oh, okay. So you need to feel safe. You need to feel like you're already connected to almost reverse engineer what the accelerators are. And then almost, again, so people socialized as women, we're the objects of desire. We're not the people who desire, again, stereotypically. But it's like, what are your fantasies? What is your turn on? Who do you like to look at? Who do you think like, meh? Given a fantasy, that might be an ideal person, right? And really letting the brain be like, it's safe and it's okay, brain, to actually think like a, a sexual person. Because I think we're so socialized to not be that person that it's actually like very a lot more challenging to figure out what the accelerators are. And then like, you know, fantasies are great. Fantasies are wonderful. Fantasies are normal. If your accelerators are fantasies that get you in the mood or are there while you're having sex, it's all normal and okay. This has got me thinking about a couple of things. One, this first goes back to that permission, you know, giving yourself permission to engage with yourself as, as a sexual being, to acknowledge that. And then to think about, you know, what are the things that get me going or don't get me going? And you're right, it can be hard to come up with, you know, what are the things that really get me going if you've never really felt like you've gotten going, right? So some of this is you might not know until you try some different things, you know? And there are some people who have only ever had one sexual partner and they've been in a long-term relationship for decades. And so what they think of sex as being is just this one thing that has just never really changed. And they might not realize or recognize that there are different ways to sexually engage, right? Because people tend to fall into those sexual routines and scripts. And so if you don't have a vast sexual repertoire, it can become much more challenging to identify those accelerators and so forth. So part of this is about exploring and experimenting, and that can go back to solo play again, where you can figure out just sort of on your own, what is it that really turns me on? And that's where there can be value in maybe watching some different types of porn, reading some different types of erotic fiction or literature, watching some sexy TV shows or movies. You know, there's all kinds of ways that you can sort of expose yourself to different potential turn-ons and figure out what it is that you like. So if you haven't really done that before, or you have a hard time coming up with those accelerators or even reverse engineering them, go out and explore and figure out what it is that gets the juices flowing. 
Yep. And then you can harness those to be like, hey, you know, kind of wasn't thinking about sex, but my partner kind of wants to. And like, what do I need? If like, I'm just going to give me five minutes, give me 10 minutes. I'm going to go read this erotica on this app that I like. Rosie Wellness app has a nice beginner intro erotica. And a lot of people like stories better than video because the image isn't forced on you. You get to create your own. And a lot of people, that's a lot more kind of friendly for them or creative for them. So just kind of harnessing your turn-ons and then bring it into the bedroom, either partnered or solo, to be like, hey, now now I'm an eight, let's go, instead of starting out at a two. Yeah, and if you're somebody who hasn't explored erotic material very much, you know, I think something that holds some people back is because they kind of think that all porn and erotic content is the same, and maybe they saw some before and they just didn't like it and it wasn't for them. The good news is there's a plethora of information and resources out there now catering to people with different tastes, different comfort levels. Some of it is more artistic and, you know, less explicit. And so, you know, go and figure out what it is that's at your comfort level right now and explore and experiment in whatever that niche is. So I know we're running short on time, but I have one last question for you about changing your sexual mindset. To truly relax and enjoy sex, you need to learn to be in the moment, to be present. So do you have any favorite tips on how to cultivate this? So how you can learn to show up, be present during sex, if that's something that you tend to struggle with a lot? Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with this, especially in the you know information age of like stuff's always coming into your phone right? And so we are used to our brains just like switching and going and switching and going. And then we're like, what do you mean breathe into my clitoris? <laughs> like, are you joking? <laughs> What's it mean? And so, you know, Lori Brado and her Better Mindfulness Through Sex talks a lot about, you know, she studied, like, what if we teach women mindfulness? And yes, meditation is great, but what it really teaches you is when a thought comes in, you don't need to attach to it. You can be like, oh, I was thinking about lunch tomorrow. I'm going to let it go. Instead of being like, crap, I'm thinking about lunch tomorrow. This sex is not going to happen at all. And I'm totally wrecked and I'm not going to have an orgasm. Like we catastrophize a thought. Instead of like brain has a thought, there it goes. I think breathing back into your pelvis, going back into where the other sensations felt. Sometimes when you have that thought, be like, oh, I need to re-engage with my partner. I re- need to change a position. You know, and using that thought as a tool instead of like, oh crap, it's all over, right? Don't latch on to those thoughts. And again, these skills of like seeing your thoughts and letting them go, they're just superpowers for like everything else in life. But I think breathing into your pelvis right? Reconnecting. Okay. I was feeling good in my vulva. I'm going to take a couple of deep breaths down in my vulva. Like there's a lot that breath work and recentering down in the pelvis to bring our mind back into our body because otherwise our mind's totally disconnected. And in order to have an orgasm, you cannot be thinking about the past or the future. Like you really have to be present centered. Otherwise the orgasm won't happen. And when an orgasm happens, the frontal lobe shuts off. So like in the you know couple of minutes of orgasm, it is as close to as ultimate mindfulness as you can get because the frontal lobe's literally incapable of having a future or past thought. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's something I noticed when I have an orgasm. It's like my brain like shuts down. Like there's just this letting go where there's nothing else in life that is quite like it, where you have to totally surrender to that urge, that instinct, whatever you want to call it. Uh, So you do have to have that ability to be present. And, you know, if you're struggling with this, there's all kinds of things you can try. The 
breathing, relaxation techniques, the mindfulness. For some people, playing music can help because, you know, sometimes the things that are distracting us are the the sounds that might be coming from outside or the next room, or maybe it's hearing your own vocalizations during sex or something like that. Whatever it is, there's a solution there. And, you know, something else that can also help for many people is, you know, trying something new that's a little bit more intense, right? Because that has a way of just sort of drawing you in and centering you in that moment. So there's all kinds of options that are on the menu here. You just need to find one that is right for you. Yeah. I mean, going in with curiosity, right, is always the right answer instead of judgment of like, it's not going to work, of like, what could work? I had a lady who was interested in getting sexually active again after she'd been treated for some pain conditions. And instead of going, this is the mindset stuff, instead of going back of like, I wonder if it's going to hurt, we worked together to be like, what if your thought was, I wonder what's going to feel good? And if you take that mindset in, instead of like, I hope it doesn't hurt, you're going to get a different result from it. Absolutely. Flip the script. Think about sex in a different way. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Kelly. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your new book? Yeah, I'd love to. I'm on Instagram at Kelly Casperson MD, and my podcast is You Are Not Broken. Amazon carries the book, You're Not Broken. Stop shooting all over your sex life. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Also, thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, and Kelly's book, You Are Not Broken. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.